Securacy is proud to be a supporter of ASIO's podcast series. With insightful presenters and expansive subjects, the podcast series is a must if you want to keep at the forefront of the industry. Securacy, security workforce management software reimagined. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the ASIO Security Insider podcast. And our guest today is Vishy Narayanan. Vishy is the Asia Pacific Chief Digital and Information Officer at PricewaterhouseCoopers, otherwise known as PwC, and a member of the Asia Pacific Executive Team. And today we are discussing his upcoming presentation at the 2022 Security Expo conference titled Digital Transformation, Threats, Challenges and Opportunities. Vishy, welcome to the program. Thanks, John. Really happy to be here. Now, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to speak with you and perhaps to help those people who are looking at coming to your presentation or just wanting to know more about what you're talking about understand, can you help us frame the context of your presentation around digital transformation? Um, you know, I think there are certain examples of digital transformation that it's easy for us to understand, like in the media industry where you go from a print-based publication to a digital delivery network. But what does digital transformation look like in in the security space? Yeah, thanks, John. And uh, as I said, really happy to be uh, giving this talk uh, in, a, in a, a couple of months. So we're operating in an increasingly complex environment. And as we've seen, the pandemic has accelerated the adoption of technology, causing unprecedented uh, changes to business models and creating new ones. So PwC's annual CEO survey has shown that digital transformation continues to remain a a key priority. So in fact, 49% of the CEOs surveyed predict an increase of 10% or more in their digital transformation spend. But what's really interesting from a security perspective is 31% of those CEOs also um, foresee an, a spend of 10% or more in cybersecurity and data privacy. So as you said, what digital transformation looks like depends on the sector and the organization, right? For some of them, it's moving from an offline to an online world, as you mentioned. It's also not just happening in the corporate and public sectors, but there's the important third sector, the not-for-profit sector. And there's a lot of work happening in the not-for-profit sector as well. As an example, Singapore is uh, providing training subsidies for disadvantaged communities that want to upskill. So so with all that in mind, we also know that digital transformation is hard, right? IDC's survey last year said, um, you know, less than 70% um, of digital transformation initiatives um, don't deliver the stated objectives. So we know this is hard. So from a security perspective, I think what's sometimes missed is the fact that digital transformation creates opportunities, but also comes with accompanied risks. So our survey that I mentioned earlier, CEOs perceived cyber threats as their number one concern to their business. And this is where I think the role of the security professionals comes in. They play a really important role in digital transformation and make sure that their organizations place special uh, attention to ensuing security and and data-related risks are managed in their organization. Yeah. So when we're talking about digital transformation, especially in the context of a lot of security organizations, it might be security departments, whatever it may be, how, when we're defining the business case for digital transformation, do we ensure that we're identifying the right problem to solve? Yeah, it is an absolutely critical question um, in in any transformation, especially uh, of digital um, uh, uh, variety. So for me, I distill this into three key questions. The why, right? So what is the core need 
to be addressed by your digital transformation. Align to your organization's vision and strategy, your client, customer needs, or the market trends and expectations. So you need to answer the why first. Then it's the where. What parts of your organization can or need to be digitally transformed based on priority? So don't go for everything, go based on priority. And, and start to look at things that create new revenue streams or drive efficiency or improve customer experience or your people experience or provide better management of your security and data and quality risks in an organization. So that's the where. And thirdly, the what. What technology, if any, can help you address those business needs? Sometimes we rush straight to putting a technology to solve a problem, but we need to ask the question, can the technology actually help address the challenge given the existing processes, given the legacy, but also the future demands. So it's being selective. And, and, and the other thing we know with technology is people only use the 10% of the capability in any technology that's out there. So just make sure you're clear about the why you're doing it, where and what parts of the organization you need to apply to it, and then what technology tools or processes you need to drive the transformation. Yeah, well, the technology side of things is a really interesting question because with any sort of innovation or change management piece, there's two ways that you can run. You can identify the problem and then innovate around the solution, or you can find a technology that looks really cool and then figure out how can we use this. Now, the second one traditionally doesn't tend to work so well. Is that correct? Absolutely. Spot on. And, and this is kind of where I think a lot of businesses, uh, and we'll talk about some of the, the challenges of, of digital transformation, I'm sure. But this is where I think a lot of, uh, especially uh, businesses that don't have a lot of uh, track record and have not been in this game for a long time, they just look at technology as a solution and, and they bring the technology in and then they they sort of two to three years down the track are disappointed it didn't deliver the transformation because there's a whole bunch of things that needs to be woven around technology, like culture, like the security aspects you're talking about, the business case, in order for the technology to do its part. Now, digital transformation is essentially, in in some ways, change management, is it not? And change management is incredibly difficult because you need to unfreeze culture before you can set a new culture. So from the point of view of, you know, in the case of digital transformation being led by the security manager, how do we unfreeze that culture and how do we achieve buy-in from the senior leadership team? So, so John, on this particular question, I have a slightly different take right yep. on this because I actually think the nature of a security manager's role is to protect their organization. This necessitates an inside-out approach, i.e. what assets am I protecting? How do I go about protecting them? Whereas senior leaders view the organization from an outside-in perspective, right? So what does business look like? And how do I go about achieving market share, customer satisfaction, differentiation, et cetera? So it's important for security managers to tackle the business case for digital transformation as an opportunity to enable business outcomes while making sure that the, the brand reputation, other risks are protected through best in class security. So how do we go about doing it? I think firstly, build a compelling vision and it's not your digital transformation, it's the organization's digital transformation. Sometimes people get too wedded to, being, to driving it as opposed to understanding the organizational context. So that's number one. Number two, getting senior leadership team buy-in, but also listen to the language, listen to the direction and their views on digital transformation and weave that into your approach and look at areas where you need to strengthen or invest more time and money in. Third, relationships, right? And this obviously sounds like a pretty obvious thing, but sometimes technology leaders tend to focus more on processes and tools and systems and not enough on 
relationships and building that engagement. So to me, that's really important. Ultimately, for me, the person leading digital transformation is accountable and answerable to the senior leadership and stakeholders. Security managers, for me, play a key role in enabling the transformation, but it's typically driven by someone in the business. And security managers play a key role as part of that team delivering the transformation. Okay, so obviously in any sort of digital transformation, we're trying to drive human-centric behavior. We want people to behave and do things in a specific way led by digital technology. And this is built, I guess, to some degree around a, a concept that's been known in business circles for a long time now, but it's slowly starting to make its way into the security space, which is behavioral science. Can you tell us a little bit about how behavioral economics and behavioral science help drive digital transformation? And is it as relevant as I think it is, or am I just, you know, barking up the wrong tree? Uh, I, I hope you're you're right about this because our entire strategy is predicated on it, right? <laughs> okay. So, so at PwC, we've embraced uh, you know the power of technology to redefine the future of our work um, and accelerate digital transformation. In fact, our latest strategy that was launched this year called the New Equation. We call it human-led um, and tech-powered, right? So it's not just about um, technology. You need to bring the best of people and technology together to create these opportunities to continue deepen trust and build sustained outcomes, right? That's how we, we see this working. So I think data, as we've all heard, is the new uh, oil and we hear all these fantastic terms. Uh, it's the most important asset. And yet we don't build a culture of providing the data to the people that need it most um, to, to, to drive the transformation. So I'll give you two examples, right? Number one is more of a data example. And the second one I'll use as a security example where behavioral science, as you said, or, or change um, is, is key part of that. Number one, we talked about data culture. So we've actually gone in and provided uh, through a, a program called Digital Academies for our entire workforce, digital upskilling on data. So data wrangling, the use of data, how do you do storytelling through data? And we've done it in a mechanism where we provided the data with trusted guardrails. So it's not just about giving everyone access to all data. It's based on your role. It's based on the, on the type of work you do, but it's not locking the data and creating massive loopholes to try and access it. It's to actually empower the trust and teach people to use the data the right way. That's the approach we've gone um, as, a, as a first example. So as you can see, the behavioral economics and science at play that is one of trust, right? It's trusting our people and giving the people the data that they need. The second, is um, through, so we run simulations um, in, in the, in the uh, organization for fishing, right? So obviously we, we know that um, people are prone to fish, fishing attacks all the time. So what we do is we run simulations and we, we sort of provide the transparency of the data back to the organization to say, here's the part of the organization that were really good. And it's not just about did you fall for it or not, did you report it? Because one of the most important measures there, and that's back to the behavioral side, is, you know, did I fall for it or did I not? And am I one of the lucky ones or not? That's not what drives change. What really drives change is, did I spot it? Did I report it? And did I actually tell others about it? And that's the behavioral change we're trying to drive and not just figure out if you're good at spotting a spam message or not, or a fish or not. So, so those are two tangible examples that we've tried to embark on to absolutely take on board the point you made is it is about behavioral change coupled with technology and other factors. Yeah. 
you touched on there, uh, you know, a huge part of the digital transformation being data-led and, you know, talking about looking at new data. The security industry is one of those industries that traditionally has been fantastic at collecting data and also equally great at doing absolutely nothing useful with the data. Um, you know, so I'm interested in ways that, you know, there's potential opportunities here for better use of data within the digital transformation, but the capture and collection of data brings up the questions inevitably around the ethical and human rights use of that data. And can you talk a little bit about the role of that in digital transformation? Yeah, it, it is an absolutely key and evolving point, right? So um, three, four years ago, there was this, there was this view that, um, the connected nature of, of systems and countries and, and organizations means the data will flow freely across organizations, et cetera. Now, we know in the last two to three years, the opposite has happened, right? So we've actually, uh, there's far more data sovereignty requirements. There's a, there's a lot more, um, you know, you can use a cloud as long as it's a cloud above me, right? It's a, it's a cloud that I have access to. So, so given that trend and the whole GDPR and the data privacy regulations, et cetera, I think the key thing is to leave the no organization owns their customer's data. The customer owns their data. I think that's the number one fact to understand and appreciate. So if you provide something of value to that customer and you engage that customer in a, in a meaningful way, the customer then gives you permission to access the data for, for purposes that are beneficial to them. And, and that's the model. I think that's got to be first principles is, you know, the only person that owns the customer's data is the customer um, yeah. at the end of the day. And if you take that as your guiding principle, then you can actually start to engage the customer, ask for consent for, for use of the data for this purpose, start to do things where they start to get more value. And we all do this without even thinking. Sometimes you look at all our ride share apps, Right. You look at um, the Airbnbs and you look at all these other systems uh, that are predicated on leveraging data for, for providing better service. We all give that access to those systems because of the benefits they provide. But you can't just expect to get access to a whole bunch of data and, as, as you said, not do anything without it or not drive uh, benefits. So in the, in the security space, if you can tell me that the data of my behavioral use of systems, et cetera, gives me a better ability to protect my systems and my data from compromise. And if you're going to do that in return for me, I might consider giving you access to the data. If you don't, the, the what's in it for me is not clear. So start with first principles, the client, the customer owns the data. Secondly, what's the benefit that you're going to provide back to the customer, what's in it for me. And thirdly, just make sure that at every stage, you put the right checks and balances in place as you're architecting it. Yeah. It would seem that an interesting conundrum uh, for anyone involved in digital transformation at the moment is that there is a significant disconnect when we're talking about data and data collection and privacy. There is a significant disconnect between people of the age of around, you know, 18, 19, 20, through to about 30 and younger, and people over the age of 40. People over the age of 40 or 50 view data and privacy through very much what I'm going to loosely refer to as an old world lens of, you know, my data is mine, my privacy is sacrosanct. Younger people don't seem to place anywhere near the same level of importance on privacy and protection of data. So when we're looking at that transformational change, especially if people are in my age group, which is sort of, you know, late 40s, early 50s, whatever, viewing it through that lens, 
how do we get our head around, well, that's not necessarily the framework that we should be looking at moving forward? Yeah, so I, again, have a slightly different take on this, as you're probably not surprised. Uh, and, yeah. and for me, it's not so much the age demographic as compared to what are they doing in yeah. providing the data. So uh, uh, the reason the demographic plays into this is the, the demographic of the 18 plus you mentioned are the ones that are actively downloading multiple apps, multiples, and they are active on social media uh, of multiple channels. So they willingly give that information in exchange for connectivity and engagement, right? That's kind of where they play more and, and the gaming uh, uh, systems and the gaming platforms, et cetera. So that is the, the world they live in, right? 80% of the world they live in is, is online. And so for them to interact in that world, part of giving that information is sort of what they think is table stakes. Now, if you look at the fastest going, growing demographic on Facebook is actually the over 65s, right? And you look at the number of people in that demographic that are openly sharing information on that platform about where they did, what they did, um, you know, who they had coffee with and where they went. That happens as a matter of fact in that platform. So to me, I think there is a nuance of, of the demographic. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but it's more based on the engagement that they have and what they're willing to do with it. So if you go to someone and, and if you look at the people that are prone to scams, right, there's a lot of people in the older demographic that are prone to scams in terms of giving away passwords and other things. That's largely because their natural way of doing banking or something else might be more in person or through a third party rather than doing it themselves. So those that do it themselves through technology generally tend to be aware and, and willing to give some information in return for what they need. So that's where I have a slight, I think I agree with your premise of your question, but I think it's based on the demographic engaging through technology to get an outcome. And, and that's kind of where I think there's a bit of a disconnect. Excellent. Now, you're presenting on day one at the ASIAL conference from 12 to 12.30 on digital transformations, threats, challenges, and opportunities. In closing, can you give us a brief insight into some of the things that you'll be discussing to help whet the appetite? I, th I think, um, uh, John, this is a very important topic. That's why I was happy to be uh, invited to come and share this, um, uh, uh, share this presentation. So some of the things I'm hoping to cover are obviously being clear about um, the business case, right? You talked about the digital transformation, the opportunities, but I also want to spend some time, hopefully sharing some experiences on the behavioral change aspect that you highlighted, right? And, and that's really critical. The cultural change, the leadership aspect of this role modeling, this, this change, as well as touching on some of the security and, and the risk aspect. So I call it the opportunity and the obligation. Uh, a lot of people love the opportunity, but with it comes an obligation and you have to view them uh, in sync. And that's sort of the balance I'm hoping to achieve through my presentation at the ASIL conference. Excellent. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to know where to find Vishy, you can visit www.asiel.com.au to find out more about the uh, conference itself. You can also find out more about the expo at www.securityexpo.com.au. Vishy, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks a lot, John, and uh, I look forward to the presentation. Cheers. And we look forward to seeing you in person at the event. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, ladies and gentlemen, you can find more like it either on the ASIO website or you can find them on iTunes, Blurberry, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean, and all the other great places that you find podcasts. And until next time, have a great week, and we will speak to you soon. 
Securacy is proud to be a supporter of ASIO's podcast series. With insightful presenters and expansive subjects, the podcast series is a must if you want to keep at the forefront of the industry. Securacy, security workforce management software reimagined.